At every ARBA convention, we're greeted by a banner that reads, For five days, you don't have to explain to anyone why you raise rabbits. Our hobby sometimes raises eyebrows. You show what? But once you step inside, you'll discover a world full of passionate, interesting people all working toward the ultimate goal, best in show. What can I do for you? Well, I'm looking for a white rabbit. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. If I were looking for a white rabbit, I'd ask the Mad Hatter. Okay, rabbit, you force me to use force. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice, tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of Best in Show, the only podcast dedicated to the show rabbit and KV industry. My name is Alan Messick. I'm an ARBA judge from California, and I am joined every week by my beautiful, brilliant, ARBA Standards Committee Chair co-host, Bryony Smith from Kansas. Bryony, what's going on on uh, your side of the country? Well, fair season is still in full swing here. I actually drove home yesterday from judging the Lancaster County Fair in Nebraska. It was a lot of fun. I kind of got to go through some parts of Kansas I visited as a kid um, and saw lots of rabbits and lots of really enthusiastic young 4-H'ers. That's so awesome. So wait, I know you're in the Wichita area. Kansas to me is a big state when I'm driving across country. I'm not gonna, I'm not shaming. I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about Kansas, but when I get to Kansas, I know it's going to be a long drive. So where is Lancaster County in, uh, in its like geographic connection to where you live in like the Southeast part of Kansas? It's pretty much straight North and, and just a little bit East. Um, so I actually, Live. I live in Wichita. I don't live too far from um, Interstate 135. I just hop up 135. It turns into 81 north of Salina. I keep going, and then I make a right turn. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, uh, and there's no apologies necessary. Like I, I can't defend any part of Kansas that's west of 135. <laughs> I don't enjoy driving through that either. But there is a whole other half of that state that's pretty long and i'm gonna tell you what right now there is not a starbucks from the beginning on the west side until about i don't know what that exit is um is it uh highway 70 but when it comes up i'm like so grateful and hopeful that it's not in the middle of the night because they're open there's a starbucks at colby at that weirdly huge truck stop with like the fake palm trees that's the that's what i'm talking about that's called the oasis isn't it yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that's on I seventy. Yeah, and then you then you probably don't see another one until you get to Salina, which is on one thirty five. I think it is in Salina because I've judged in Salina, so I, I'm familiar with that exit. Um, yeah, but oh, the Oasis isn't like just on the west side. It's it's a good way into the state, isn't it? I mean, yes and no. Like we think of Colby <laughs> as being like way way out west, but then I drive to Colorado, which I only do like if I'm going to convention. Um, and I'm like, oh, I'm to Colby almost through with the state. And it's like <laughs> forever, you know, to get to the Colorado border. It just it doesn't end. All right. Well, next time you drive east and you're starting on my end of the country, I want you to tell me how Colby feels. Because, and if you're going for Starbucks, because it's, it does not feel like the west side of the state. 
No, no, it doesn't. Um, I, I don't know. It's just, it's all, it all runs together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I get it. I get it. But hey, it's not as bad as Nevada or, or Wyoming. <laughs> Wyoming. Oh, man. See, That's I drove that one. at night on the way to Reno. Um, so it wasn't that bad. I mean, basically, you're, you're describing my trip to Reno <laughs> up 135, <laughs> across 70, up to Wyoming, across 80. Um yeah, that was when I really fell in love with podcasts, actually. Yeah, as long trip. as you get a good signal or download your podcast before you start driving. Yes. I will give one plug, though. The best coffee I've ever had in my life is in Wyoming. If you're going through on the 80, guys, if you're going to Louisville this year, coming back from Louisville, and you're on the 80, and you're in Wyoming, and you're nearly getting blown off the road by the wind, or maybe even a snowstorm, a freak snowstorm, because they get those like in September as early as that, uh, stop in Laramie for Coal Creek Coffee. It is incredible and they open early and you can get a buffalo quiche while you're there it's delicious oh that does sound good oh so good yes all right so i think we've got some listener comments to talk about for this episode i'm going to read one and it reverts back to fairs i'm sorry guys but brian and i are both in fair season i got home last night from the sonoma county fair uh, up in the Bay Area and wine country. It was a lot of fun. Guy Fioria actually showed up today at the at the livestock auction and bought a hog for $10,000. Um, so I'm, I'm done with that one. And I leave actually in a few hours. I'm going to do an all-nighter, guys, uh, to go back to the Orange County Fair to do an educational fiber display on Angora goats. I'm going to do some rabbit stuff too. And I'll make sure to show those photos on Facebook. But uh, we are both in fair season. So the pod, the the episode comment I'm going to read comes from ARB judge Jordan Miner. And he said, I loved the fair podcast from last week. I listened to it on my way to my very first fair bid today. So thanks, Jordan, for your comment. And I believe, Brian, you've got some that uh, came to you in person, right? Yeah, I did. Um, I had a couple people come up to me at the county fair yesterday. One was a parent who said that he'd raised rabbits as a kid and really liked the hobby, but then sold out, went to college, as many people do. And then became a parent again, and his kids are now in 4-H showing rabbits. His oldest girl um, showed some rabbits. She was doing showmanship at the time, and then his oldest son uh, showed mini Rex and did really well with his casters, one best for class. And there are plans to get their next oldest son into 4-H and rabbits next year. There's six kids in the family, so they're going to be keeping that county going and busy for the next several years which is really exciting. He said that his favorite episode so far was the one with Dr. Scott Williamson. He said, I really like the ones with management tips and practical advice. Yeah, that's that seems to be a fan favorite uh, over and over again. We, we love our Dr. Scott. Yes, we do. And then um, another lady came up to me and said that she'd been thinking about doing her registrar's license for a while. Um, you know, she's about our age and said she, you know, kind of been on the fence, but she listened to the episode with Alan Barr and Kathy Groves and said that Kathy had inspired her to go ahead and take the plunge and that she had requested an application for her registrar's license. That is so awesome. Isn't that not the objective when we when we did that podcast to to highlight and to really inspire people. And as Kathy said, you could be a grandma and get your registrar's license or your judge license. You don't have to be 18, 19, early 20s, fresh out of college, you know, knowing how to study. You can do this at any time. So hats off to to that, that ARB member and good luck on her pursuit and her license. I think that's awesome. Can't wait to hear more about her. I'm sure we will. Yeah, I'm hoping that we will have a new registrar in Nebraska soon. Heck Yeah. 
And this is a reminder to all of our listeners to like, follow, and share The Rabbitry on Facebook. That will continue to be our hub every week for current episode links, as well as links to past episodes. So if you happen to miss some of our last episodes, if you're just discovering us, those podcast episodes are up there forever. You just click those links, and they are in order on The Rabbitry page. So you just scroll on down, find the photo, find the, the topic that might most inspire you, uh, we're going to guarantee that you're probably going to listen to it and then want to listen to more. But those archives are up there forever. And we're so grateful they are because we've had some of the, the biggest and best voices and we have many more to come. So keep following the rabbitry on Facebook, share it with your friends. Uh, those are going to be the links to those podcast platforms wherever you listen to us. And each and every week, Brian and I love to share those comments from our listeners because uh, it reminds us that, hey, we're okay, we're doing a good job and we're inspiring others. And then, of course, we love to hear, you know, not necessarily negative stuff, but we want to hear your suggestions for other episodes. And you can reach us through uh, our Gmail account, which is podcastbestinshow at gmail.com. Again, podcastbestinshow at gmail.com. And you can send us your comments there and we'll be happy to read them on our next episodes. Um, we also love when you uh, hit the five star on Apple Podcast or whichever platform you're listening to Best in Show and drop a comment. Those comments actually serve as a sort of relevance to those platforms in terms of linking other maybe like-minded people, whether they're showing rabbits or cavies, or maybe they're interested in rabbits or cavies, or whichever topic we, we talk about. Uh, so that helps to uh, kind of uh, uh, shorten the algorithm between those that might want to find us and uh, then actually listening. So please find us on Spotify, find us on Apple Podcast, Audible, uh, Google Play, wherever it is that you listen to us please give us your best rating and drop a comment and we will find those and we will also read them. So, and thank you again for everyone that, that stops us, whether it's stopping us through an email, a comment or a comment on our platforms or like Brian's this week in person, wherever we uh, end up judging and, and we bump into you. We totally appreciate those. Yes. It's nice to hear that um, not just the work that we're doing has been impactful, but that the platform that we use to share the wisdom and the knowledge and the experience of our guests has been helpful to you too. Yes. It's exactly why you and I started this months ago. And I can't believe we're already here at episode 21. And gosh, we have loads and loads of ideas and, and future guests to come up that are going to inspire so many of you uh, in our audience. And we really still hope, we know this is going to happen actually when everyone hits those freeways, when they're driving through Kansas and Nebraska and Wyoming, those, those long states that you uh, start downloading the podcast and binge out as you make your trek to Louisville. And I don't know, I just got the chills, Bryony, because Louisville is coming up fast. And this episode is sort of dedicated to conventions. So we're starting to feel that, that vibe and it's not going to be far away. That's right. And it's been two years since we've had convention in person. So I think everyone is just a little bit extra excited about this one. It's going to be the family reunion again this year. It is going to be that. That's a great way to say it. It's going to be that family reunion. And I almost wish we had like five extra days of this one to really make up for that week that we lost in uh, 2020. It's going to be an awesome convention. It is happening, everyone. There's links on the ARBA website to the upcoming convention in Louisville. We are going to be there. Everyone's going to be there. So if you haven't made your hotel reservations, do it. Those rooms are booking up fast and start thinking about your entries. I know everyone's bred really hard for this one. We've got lots of rabbits that never got to be seen over the last year and a half. Well, let's make them seen and let's make them seen in Louisville later this year. So Bryony, we're going to dedicate this episode to our youth and it's an awesome episode in terms of our interview guests and inspiring others to compete in ARBA 
youth contest. And that is something that is very near and dear to both you and me. I mean, we would not be sitting here, correct, if we didn't have those youth contests to inspire us as kids. No, I think that that's, you know, besides being something that was enjoyable to compete in and really, you know, kept us engaged in the hobby. I mean, that was a great introduction to learning about the hobby, meeting people in the hobby, and just, you know, getting more involved in our local shows and areas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was one of those kids. I was from Connecticut. You know, we didn't have a lot of youth in rabbits in Connecticut uh, growing up, even really across New England. Um a lot of people in New England didn't travel very far to conventions. A lot of people didn't go to conventions. So when I made that trek in 99 to Louisville to compete in the youth contest for the very first time, also in Louisville, by the way, I didn't do very well, but <laughs> I did it. Um, you know, I, I was, it was the first time I was exposed to kids from all over the country that were just like me, that could relate to me. They were those kids that, you know, were kind of like shy about sharing with their peers at, at, at school that they, you know, showed rabbits on the weekend and couldn't wait to get home every day to feed and water the rabbits and, and, and groom and look at their litters and, and plan their next breeding. Uh, as you said, those, those youth contests bring people together, bring kids together. So there are so many great reasons to compete in those. And I, it's not too late, by the way, to um, apply for those applications. Right, Bryony? No, it's not. Um, the I would have to look up the deadline date. Um, we'll find out more about this next week. But yeah, those are due um, later in the summer. And even if you don't plan to attend convention, there are contests that you can compete in. There's an educational contest where you can make all sorts of educational or artistic items and send those to convention with someone. There are the achievement and the management contests that are applications only, and those awards are given at convention. You do not need to be present at all. So even if you're not able to go to convention this year, you still can participate in those youth contests. And what's really cool, you know, we've got a, a, a new Asian base. I don't want to say new because it's been around for about 10 years now, but it's growing and growing and growing. We've actually had some Asian youth compete in those contests. Just like you've said, you don't have to attend the convention to compete in some of the contests. So it doesn't matter where you're living. If you're if you're if you're in Jakarta, Indonesia, and you're you're under the age of the uh, the de the deadline or the limits for the contest, you can actually enter and be part of this. So, um, and that goes for anyone that's living in the U.S. too. If you're actually not going to go, that's we understand it's it's hard to get there. But there are contests, not all of them, but there are some contests that you can compete in and never have to go and just submit your applications um, through the internet. And then, um, depending on which contest you're entering, whether or not you actually have to physically send your entry states and arts and crafts contest. So lots of ways for kids to be involved and feel like they're part of the part of the convention, whether you're you're physically there or not. Yeah, and I think that's one of the good things about the youth contest. I know actually I competed in achievement and management before I was able to attend and compete in royalty. So it was helpful though, um, to get some feedback on my application before I even tried at royalty. Yeah, definitely. And we're going to talk about actually our education segment today after our interview with a former ARBA queen uh, that you brilliantly did. Uh, we're going to talk about some tips that the ARBA offers, the ARB Youth Committee actually offers on submitting those applications. And we're going to say it later on, but I'm going to say it right now, like if you look at those tips, you and I, Brian, we've both been to college and we've submitted a lot of applications that are beyond rabbits. Um, these tips are, are things that will help you throughout your entire life. It's not something that's just rabbit related. Like these are, these are skills and and pathways that will help you succeed in whatever you do beyond rabbits. And I know you and I can both relate to this. Like, yeah, we started in rabbits and I, I learned a lot about life skills and responsibility and writing through rabbits. And I have applied those each and every day in my adult life. Even to this day, I just finished applying to my grad school application and 
I mean, I pulled off some of the skills that, that I used to 20 years ago in those youth contests to, to finish that application. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever had a job interview that didn't at some point come around to rabbits and my involvement in the hobby. And just, of course, the interview skills itself are something that was honed and practiced in those rabbit contests as a kid. Absolutely. I'll share a funny story. Chris Emney, her daughter, um, Allison, she was applying for a job back in New York City. She was actually applying, I think, for the vice president's job at Saks. And she was sitting there in the interview in New York City, and they said, tell it. And she, she was caught off guard. Like, this was not something that she was prepared for. But they said, tell us something <laughs> really interesting about your past that that maybe we don't know. And she goes, well, um, I was actually the ARBA princess back in 19. I don't know what it was, but she, I was a rabbit princess. And they're like, what? I mean, and I'm telling you what, they remembered that girl afterwards. And you know what? She got the job. She was actually vice president of Saks after that interview. So actually, um, I'm pretty sure that that I didn't know her at the time, but I'm pretty sure that that was Chris Zemney because the night I won, there was a lady that came up to me and she told me, whatever you do in life, let people know about this. And she said, told me that story that her daughter was in a job interview and she had been the ARBA rabbit princess and <laughs> the interviewers remembered her and she got the job. I'm pretty sure that was Chris. I just got the chills. Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> such a great story. And imagine those executives at Saks. They're like, rabbits? They didn't <laughs> expect that one today. But you know what? Allison probably owned it. I know she owned it because she's a lot like her mom. She owned it in that interview. And she got the job. So guys, don't be afraid of of being proud of what you do um, when it comes to rabbits and KVs. It's, you may get a few laughs in high school or wherever you're going to school um, amongst your peers. But I'm telling you what, these things are going to be with you for your life and they're going to help you throughout your life. So apply to those youth contests. We're going to talk about more of those tips later on. But this episode is dedicated to kids doing ARBA contests like in Louisville coming up. And, and both Brian and I, you were a queen in... What year, Bryony? Uh, I was the 1997 ARBA Rabbit Queen. 1997 ARBA Rabbit Queen, and I was the 2001 ARBA King. So uh, you've got two former ARBA royalty here that could not be more more um, enthusiastic about these programs and what they do, not only while you are of the age of being in high school or younger, but what they do for you afterwards. So Bryony, with that, let's roll into this interview. All right. Tonight, we're going to be meeting Chelsea Lanzettel, who is our 2008 ARBA queen, and her son, Jake, who will be a first-time Lord contestant this year. Chelsea and Jake, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So, Chelsea, let's start off at the beginning. Um, tell us how you got into the Rabbit Project and who were some of your mentors in the hobby. I actually got started in the Rabbit Project in, I believe it was August of 2000. It was my first year that uh, I was going to be able to participate at the Butler County Fair in El Dorado, Kansas. And I told my mom that I wanted to show a steer because that's what she grew up showing. And at the time, we lived in city, and she said, absolutely not. And uh, she went through the animal projects and everything, and she told me I could do a rabbit project. And so we contacted Stan Pulliam. Uh, down in Hayesville, Kansas. And Stan, he sold me my very first Siamese Sable Netherland Dwarf Buck. Um, his name was Jasper. I remember that. Um, and from there, it just kind of grew into a much bigger project. Um, I started off with Netherland Dwarfs and I showed them for about, I'd say about 
four, five years. And then I slowly grew into the mini Rex breed. I absolutely love their fur. And I showed a few other breeds as I got older. I really love to learn about other breeds by breeding show quality animals and just learning as much as I could hands on, not just, you know, by reading the standard, but also from, you know, learning about them hands on. Um, mentors that I had was, of course, Stan Pulliam, uh, Mary and Terry Carney, who actually grew to be my rabbit grandparents. Uh, so I called them Grandma Mary and Grandpa Terry. And um, Gary and Yvonne and Sarah Michoud were really, really big um, supporters of me whenever I was a youth. And let me, let me think, as a young, uh, as a young child, um, with youth contest, my mom, Rachel, and my dad, Craig, were also really big supporters of me and helping me study and prepare myself for the youth contest. I'm sure there are many others that I'm forgetting, but those were the top ones whenever I very first started. Um, oh, I also mentioned Bobby and Nancy Walker from Arkansas. Um, they were also uh, very big in supporting me in the youth contests. And Nancy was actually my showmanship judge in 2001 at the Butler County Fair. And she's the one that pushed my parents into um, having me attend nationals that year in San Diego, California. And that was the year that I won uh, the uh, 2001 ARBA lady. And Nancy kept telling my mom, she's like, oh, she can do it. She can do it. She's really intelligent. She's really smart. You know, she has to work on a few things, but she can do it. And my parents believed this woman that we just met for one day. And it just kind of grew from there. So was your mom a 4-H or two? My mom was, she, again, she showed steers at the Butler County Fair for um, quite some time. Uh, she also did photography, foods, and things like that, but she never actually showed rabbits. Um, funny enough, she's actually very much allergic to rabbits, and she sacrificed a lot to be at all the shows and everything, um, but she did it for me and, and my siblings also. I did not know that your mom was in 4-H2. Which county was, or which club was she in? Uh, I believe she was in Cassidy Boosters. Okay. My mom was a Rose Hole Rustler. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. I didn't realize we were both second generation Butler County 4-H'ers. Yes. Yep. So was the um, 2001 ARBA Youth Contests, were those the first ones that you entered or had you done um, more local and state contests before that? Um, I'd competed at the county fair, and I, I don't remember if the Kansas State Convention was prior to nationals that year or not, but I didn't really compete a whole lot my first year. Now, starting in 2002 and 2003 especially, I did attend a lot more 4-H shows uh, that were held here in Kansas. Kansas actually used to have several 4-H shows, especially in the springtime, and my parents would drive you know, two, three hours depending on where they were at. And I would compete in those. But that first year, I don't think I competed in very many, just just a few more than likely. Okay. And what were um, some of the shows that you would attend regularly in Kansas as you were getting started? Um, the Miami County Cottontails 4-H show in Paola, Kansas was one of my favorite ones to go to. Um, there was the Riley County show, um, 4-H show in Manhattan, Kansas. Um, there was actually, I remember one show in particular, it, I didn't go to it, I think more than once or twice, but there was a 4-H show out in Dighton, Kansas. And I remember doing showmanship and I believe I would have been eight or nine years old at the time. And I was showing Netherland Dwarfs. And one of the questions that I got asked in showmanship was, can you name all the varieties in your breed? And at that point in time, Netherland Dwarfs only had 24 varieties. Broken had not been, um, had not been passed or I don't actually know if it was being worked on at that point. Um, 
but I couldn't do it. And I, even at an early age, I was very competitive and I was very upset with myself because I couldn't, or I didn't know all the varieties of Neville and Dwarfs. And I remember going home that night and trying to, you know, look through the standard and trying to memorize all the varieties. That way, if I ever got asked that question again, I would know it. So That's definitely a competitive spirit. Um, A lot of times we hear people say, you know, oh, I'm not going. It's just a 4-H show. You know, it's not sanctioned. But it sounds like you found a lot of value in those shows. I really did. Points really did not matter to me. Um, I, at a young age, I don't think that even, you know, my, my son Jake right now understands the, the whole sweepstakes aspect of everything for points. Um, but for the kids, what meant something to me was the contest, not just showing my rabbits and earning, you know, a blue or a purple ribbon. That part was wonderful as well. And it, and it wasn't, you know, the bigger trophies for best in show or anything like that, because for a couple of years I showed you know, one rabbit and, um, and one breed just to learn about that breed. So I never did expect much on that end. But what I loved doing was challenging myself over and over again in showmanship and breed ID and the rabbit judging contest. And there were actually here in Kansas, when I, when I was a youth exhibitor, a lot of other kids in my age group. And there was a really, um, a really positive atmosphere with all of us. You know, it, it didn't matter if we didn't win. But we tried harder the next time if we didn't win. And so for me, that's, you know, that's what I would really look forward to when I would attend those shows. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of people overlook the value of those contests and just practicing and learning and finding, you know, where you can improve maybe for some of those bigger contests, you know, state or national. Um, This was back before showmanship was standardized across the country. So can you tell us a little bit how showmanship in Kansas was different than some other parts of the U.S.? From what I know, and again, this is only from what I know that I've seen in pictures and and friends from other states that, you know, I would talk with at nationals and whatnot. Um, Kansas, we had, I feel, a very simple version of showmanship whenever I first started. And then that slowly grew around like 2005, 2006. It became a bit more competitive. And at that point, we as kids, we had to know the origin and the anatomy, you know, different things of our rabbits were, um, our rabbits originated from when they became a recognized ARBA breed, things like that. And so that really started making it a little bit more competitive in how much knowledge you could, you know, tell the showmanship judge when you went up for that contest. Um, I know in places, um, like California, for example, um, you know, I've, I've seen pictures where, you know, they have a certain showmanship, um, dress code. And I know here in Kansas, we do not have that, you know, we, we're expected to either wear a white show coat or long sleeve, uh, a long sleeve white shirt, um, something to that, um, to that aspect. Um, and then I know that in other states also, from what I've heard is that, you know, they don't talk at all during their showmanship. They just kind of examine the rabbit and, and that's the end of it. And so for ours, um, for ours here in Kansas, it started off a little bit simpler and then it really did become a little bit more, well, not a little bit, but a lot more competitive. And especially when you when we reached the intermediate and senior age divisions, how much you knew about your breed and how much you could explain about the body type and the fur and not just, you know, checking the ears for ear mites and the eyes for blindness and things like that. The more that you knew really separated you from your competition. And I can remember challenging myself once again when I hit that intermediate age to put as much as I possibly could into my showmanship talk. 
So when did you start uh, competing in the KSRBA youth contests? And you, can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah. So I started p- competing at the KSRBA convention in 2001. That was also my first year. Uh, same thing with ARBA nationals. And um, at the KSRBA convention, we have uh, royalty, of course, um, Lord, Lady, Prince, Princess, Duke, Duchess, and King and Queen. And the ages are the exact same as what they are at the ARBA convention. Um, we have the individual braid ID contest, rabbit judging, showmanship. Um, and then we also have educational um, displays and photography also is what's offered to the kids. Um, my first year that I competed, I just did royalty. So with royalty, of course, you know, you have to do the showmanship and judging and braid ID along with the written test and the oral interview. Um, I don't remember ever doing photography in the educational exhibits, if I'm being honest. Um, Royalty really was what I focused on. I absolutely loved it. It was, again, it was a challenge, um, but it was also very rewarding for me. And it kept wanting to make me do better and better after I competed. Once I saw my scores, of course. So, (laughs) What were your favorite parts of the contest? My absolute, and I would say from an early age until I got to, until I, Um, was 18 years old in my final year of competing in the youth contest. My favorite two contests was the Braid ID contest and the oral interview. Um, The Braid ID contest, uh, again, it was the the most challenging aspect for me, especially with new breeds being recognized, new varieties being recognized. You know, you really had to study. And, you know, for the kids who, you know, scored a little bit higher, I feel like typically – those were the kids that, you know, would go around to rabbit shows and, th- and ask uh, open and even youth exhibitors about their animals and to, you know, explain the differences in color and, um, you know, breeds. Because some of the breeds, you know, depending on what variety it is, sometimes it can be a bit challenging to tell the difference. And I would do that. My mom would actually take me around to different shows at a very early age. And she would uh, she wrote up a mock breed ID sheet and we would go around the showroom before the show started. And then again, after my rabbits would show and she would go over different breeds. And if I didn't know the breed or the variety, then she would have me ask uh, the exhibitor who owned the rabbits. And then the second contest that was my favorite, again, was the oral interview. And that one there, I actually, um, I say that the oral interview really set me up good in life because when I turned 18 and I got my first job, when it came to the interview process, uh, I did very well. And I remember um, the, the human resources uh, lady telling me that she, I, I had a very good interview. And um, it really did set me up in life to learn how to speak to people and, you know, how to talk with someone who is a stranger and, you know, be able to think on my feet, you know, at, at any given moment. And again, those those were my favorite two contests. I, I absolutely love both of them. Not saying I didn't love the other ones, but those were definitely my favorite. ID was my favorite too. I like that in showmanship. Judging was my least favorite. <laughs> I agree. I, I 100% agree. I still feel like that to this day. I, I never could. And and it was always kind of a running joke in my family because, uh, again, I would study for showmanship and breed ID and, you know, my written test and, and even the oral interview, you know, contest. I would sit there and try and prepare myself mentally for it. And then rabbit judging would come along. And, you know, if let's say there were 10 kids who, you know, entered in, you know, in my age group, I would be either 10th or 9th place. Like it was never good. it was never good. So no, I was I was there too. I never did as well in the judging contest as I would have liked to. Um, and we kind of had a running joke in my age group that whoever won the judging contest just guessed. And a lot of times by the winner's list, that was probably pretty accurate. Oh my but God. then then I became a judge and I realized 
that's why it's difficult is, you know, people who donate rabbits to judging contest, it's a very generous thing to do, but it's not their best rabbits. Exactly. Because they're being handled by so many kids. And I learned that kind of, you know, okay rabbits, those are the ones that will place all over the board under judges. You know, a normal class in a show, you have some obviously better rabbits, normally some obviously lesser rabbits. Right. And those groups at least tend to be at the top of the bottom under any judge. But when it's kind of mediocre rabbits, man, it's all over the place. <laughs> it, it sure is. And I remember my younger sister, she's five years younger than me. And I remember her very first KSRBA convention. Um, she tried the, the judging contest. And I kid you not. She was so tiny, um, you know, height-wise, she was so tiny that she had to stand on a step stool, and that still didn't help her case at all. <laughs> and I remember my mom telling her, she goes, well, it's okay. Just pick the one that you think is the prettiest one. And my sister, she stood there, and she literally did not have – and there were people there to help her take the rabbits out. And she's like, no, I, I don't want to take it out. And she sat there, and she picked the pretty ones. And she was – I can't remember if she was grand champion or reserve champion, but she was either one, one of the two <laughs> at her first one. And I think I ended up with, like, uh, you know, a score of – it was really bad. So <laughs> it, I, I was very I was very upset because I tried so hard. And then my little sister gets up there, and she picked the pretty one, and she won. So <laughs> <laughs> and I, rem I remember – Long story short, I remember trying to do that and it did not work out for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, strategy in the judging contest. You just got to try your best. It's just yes. part of the deal. So you talked a little bit about your ID contest study tips. Mm -hmm. um, you got a perfect score at Airbnb convention in ID, correct? Yes, I did in 2008. And in 2008. <laughs> that had only been done once before. So I'm told. 20 yes. years before. Yes. And, and I wonder who that was. <laughs> and that's why it changed a little bit and got harder. Yes. Um, I don't think they added a lot to it after you accomplished that. Um, but do you have any more study tips for ID or showmanship? Um, you know, for breed ID, the way that I studied for breed ID might be a little bit different than, than, you know, what some do, but memorization was actually a huge thing for me. And if you're able to sit down and really memorize, you know, different varieties and things like that, especially with the cavies, because here in Kansas, cavies are not something that's common. You know, you, you don't usually see cavies in breed ID contests unless it's, you know, at least for me, like my last two years at state convention at the Kansas State Convention, I remember there being at least one cave, I think there might have been two, to try and, you know, challenge us as senior aged kids. But for caveys especially, I remember not knowing anything about them. And that was foreign territory, you know, for me. And I would sit there and make up little acronyms and things like that for different varieties for each of the breeds, because some of them are different, you know, and um, when the ARBA came out with the forms that it, it was, it's not a, it's not a cheat sheet per se, but it kind of, it shows what should be written down in the showroom classification for different breeds, rabbits or cavies, and then what the registration variety could possibly be. I remember religiously taking those to school with me. I was in high school and I would take those to school with me and I would try and study and memorize them as much as I could for cavies uh, in my seminar class. Um, when I was finished with my homework on the bus, I'm not kidding. Any chance that I got, I tried to just study that information as much as possible. Um, when you have a younger child, I really give a lot of credit to my mom because, again, she would – and I actually do the exact same thing right now for my son who's going to be eight next month to try and help him study. Um, just like my mom did, um, I've written my son up a mock breed ID sheet, 
and we go around at almost every single one of the shows that he attends and we go and look at different breeds. And if, you know, if he doesn't know the variety, then I have him ask the breeder who's there what the variety is. And I tell you what, there are so many wonderful people out there who, even though they're grooming their rabbits, they will take the time to stop and they will take the time to show ring color and show the difference, you know, between two different varieties. And that really is what I would say for, for folks to work on, especially parents to help their children learn how to do the breed ID contest. It is a, It can be a very intimidating contest if you're not familiar with it. But besides doing those things, my, my next step or my next um, piece of advice would just be to really read your standard. Look at all of the, not just the pictures, the colored pictures in the front of the standard, but look at the actual um, breed pages that are there. And just look over the varieties. Um, a lot of them, I remember for Palominos, for example, I can remember this from, from when I was younger, Palominos, you know, their varieties are golden and lynx. And I was at a show one time when I was younger and I saw a cream d'argent and it looked to me a lot like a, uh, a lynx Palomino. And my mom was actually the one that got into the standard book and she goes, well, there's a difference in eye color. And so she would have an, she made up an acronym for me and everything so that I would remember that cream d'argents have it was, she called it creamy chocolate pudding. I know that that might sound silly, but chocolate being brown because cream d'argents have brown eyes and uh, lynx palominos do not. And so that's how she would teach me. And so whenever I went to a breed ID contest, if I didn't know for sure, then I would think about the things that she told me and that would help me decipher between what breed and what variety it was. So studying and learning about rabbits was kind of a joint project with you and your mom, right? It really was. And again, I give a lot of credit to her. And again, she was highly allergic to them. She still is to this day. Uh, she used to have to um, take a lot of medication before she would attend shows and whatnot. Um, but she really set me up on a really good path. And when I turned about 11, 12 years old, I kind of took on a more um, independent role on that. And again, I would read my standard continually or continuously. And it, it really did help. That would be my biggest piece of advice is just to always have your standard with you and always be reading um, and reach out to breeders too. If, if you're not for, you know, for sure. Um, the ARBA website right now, it does have a copy of the breed ID form for any parents who are interested in looking at that or having their children um, learn about that. And I think it's a great resource because when I first started in rabbits, it, it was not that that did not exist. And now that it does, it's a little bit easier for the parents to try and, you know, help coach and teach their children, you know, for things that they may not know. So another part of royalty contests, both in here in Kansas and many states and in the ARBA convention is the application that you complete. And that's another thing that's really intimidating to a lot of kids. And yes. sometimes they're just not really sure what to say, especially if they haven't been in the hobby for very long. What advice would you have for that? I would say think really hard about every single thing that you do with your rabbits, whether you're doing um, the written application for royalty, the achievement, or the management applications for those two contests. Just really think hard about every single thing that you do. And when you see those questions, um, especially ones like, you know, what have you done pr to promote your animal project? Um, how do you make others, you know, interested in rabbits and and or cavies. If, if you don't have a whole lot to put down on that question, then maybe for next year, really focus on, on those things. What can you do to 
um, make others aware of your project? What can you do to help other kids? How can you be more of a leader in your project? And that way, the following year, you can put a lot more down for those questions, you know, really make the effort to do more in your project to help the younger kids, you know, to make, um, you know, uh, there's, I know there's prior to COVID, um, kids would take their rabbits to school and, you know, show their classmates and their teachers, because a lot of people don't know that rabbit showing is an actual thing. And, you know, just really, you know, reach out to your community and get people involved. But with those applications, um, I would also say, ask your, your 4-H leaders, your local youth leaders for any help and guidance that you need with those. They, they can be very intimidating, but just be thorough, be honest. Um, and if you haven't, if you don't have, a, you know, a lot to put down for one question, maybe put, you know, what you're planning on doing in the future. That way, whoever is grading your application, they know that, you know, you might not have a whole lot of experience at, at this time, but you have a goal. You have, um, you have a, a goal set in mind as to what you do plan on doing. It, it makes it a little bit easier for the person who's grading, I feel, to know that, okay, well, they haven't done a whole lot. You know, maybe this is their first or second year in the project, but this is what they want to do. They're long, they have long-term goals. That's a really good point. Um, and I like the point about leadership as well. I think some people assume that, you know, that's only about holding offices and clubs or having official titles, or maybe that's only for older kids. But leadership is all sorts of things like just helping other people, helping newer kids get going, um, volunteering to, you know, write for a judge at the show, or even, you know, bring drinks to the judge at the show, just, you know, stepping up and helping out and, right. you know, getting out in front and and being part of things. Mm-hmm. So we'll absolutely back up a little bit. You talked about, um, I believe the entire time you were in the ARBA contests, it was rabbits and cavies, correct? Yes. Yes. For the most part. Yes. I remember on my written tests when I was a younger uh, contestant, I would say until I became um, a Duke and Duchess uh, contestant in that age group. So 12 to 14, I really hadn't had anything about cavies on the written test prior to that. And so I would say right about that age. So about 2005, cavies really started to be introduced into the contests at nationals. I know it was kind of a slow roll in because they were starting that a little bit. Um, My last year's my last year was 2000. Um, And I know in 99, we did like they had us go through KVID, but it was just like just to give us practice. I did terribly, of course, um, (laughs) because I didn't wasn't really that into it. And I hadn't seen a whole lot of KVs. But what were your tips? Because you mentioned, you know, we don't have a lot of KVs in Kansas. We never really have. Um, I don't know that we've ever had a sanctioned KV show here. Um, what tips would you give kids for studying KVs and learning about them when there really aren't any around? I would say whenever you get to, it's very hard to study something that you can't see in person. And that's why even with rabbits, I tell people that sometimes flashcards are not the best idea whenever it comes to studying because a Florida white and a white satin and a white New Zealand if, if you really can't tell the size difference on, you know, the three of those rabbits, you're not going to know which, you know, what it is. And when you're taking pictures off of a camera, it's a little bit different. And so with cavies, if you can't see them in person, I, the next best thing for, you know, kids in, in our state w- would be at that point to look, in, you know, to look inside the standard and look at the different ways that the breeds come. You know, teddies are 
you know, to me, they have a, this is probably not the correct term, but they kind of have like a springy texture coat. coat I, I don't even know if coat's the right word. I never raised KV. So for all the KV breeders out there, I'm very sorry I'm butchering this. Um, but, you know, Texels, you know, they look different. And then the Americans and the American Satins, you know, just just looking at the breeds and everything, you know, because with KVs, I guess the good part with the KVs is that, you know, a Peruvian KV, it comes all the way down and a Silky is more kind of smooth on the head and, you know, it comes back. And so at least with those, you can kind of get a good idea with KVs as to which breed is which. White Crested's, you know, obviously have the crest on the top of the head. Um, now, when it comes to varieties, that there, I would say if you don't have KVs in your area, wait until you get to nationals and before the breed ID contest, which I believe is, I think it's the second or the third day of convention. I can't remember to be exact. I've been out of the or out of the youth contest for about 10 years now, so it might have changed. Um, but I would say go over to the KV section and go and look at some of the different varieties and the different breeds. And again, ask exhibitors, ask the youth exhibitors, ask the open exhibitors. And if you can't find anyone, look at the tags there on the coops at nationals too. That could that will help you too. And again, not just for KVs, but even rabbits too. If you're unfamiliar with certain breeds um, that, you know, you may not see in your state and, you know, in your state's youth contest, then definitely go to nationals and look around before you actually enter the ID contest on the breed ID day. That's really good advice. Um, I think sometimes some kids that don't have KVs are a little intimidated about that part of the contest. Um, Absolutely. But there's still, there's, there's learning to be done. There's always opportunities to learn. Well, and if I'm being honest with KVs, it was, I, I would generally always get the breed right. But again, from, you know, someone who didn't see KVs in, in our state and from someone who did not raise KVs either, the showroom classification and the registration variety were always very tough for me. And so again, it was a challenge to just continue my education in that area. It was unknown territory, but I knew that if I wanted to do well at state convention here in Kansas and at nationals, that that was something that I was going to have to eventually learn. And while it was hard, it, it was definitely worth it in the long run. But my biggest advice would be just ask breeders, ask the people who are showing these, you know, these animals. That's always, and people love to talk about their rabbits. I mean, people always love to talk about their rabbits. Yes. Um, as long as they don't have animals on the table getting comments right at that moment. Yes. That's, that's not a good time. <laughs> no. That's when I tend to get the most questions about my rabbits. Um, so you um, you started in 2001 and you competed pretty much every year through that, right? I did. The, the, on, the only two years that I missed at nationals was uh, 2006 in Texas and 2007 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Every other convention I attended. So you um, competed for, what would that be, six contests in a row, and then you skipped two and mm -hmm. then you came to Louisville, Kentucky in 2008. And how old were you at the time? I was 15. And so you were a queen that year. I was, yes. That was my first year in the queen division. So how did you prepare for that? And how did it feel having kind of been out of that for a couple of years? To be very honest, um, no one had really, because at nationals back then, and I'm sure it's kind of the same here, um, Every, everyone kind of knows who, for the most part, they're going to be competing against. And for the for the girls, and I don't know if it was like this at whenever you competed also, but for the girls, I feel like the competition for royalty is a little bit more 
competitive because there are a lot more girls who compete in the royalty contest versus the boys, if I'm being honest. Um, in 2008, I think there was close to 50 girls in the queen division. There was close to, I don't think there was exactly 50, but there were a lot. And so for me coming out of not attending nationals, the two years before that, I knew that if I wanted to do well, I was going to have to study even harder than what some of the, you know, the other contestants had, because for things like the written test, for example, some of the questions, not all of them, but some of the questions, you know, would be the same, you know, from year to year, or, you know, every two years, you know, they would switch it up, you know, you know, at some parts of it. But because I hadn't competed the two years prior, I, you know, I didn't have that advantage going into the queen division. And, you know, as a 15 year old competing against kids who are either in college or are getting ready to go to college, that was also a big factor for me too, because I knew that if I wanted to do well, I really was going to have to study my butt off in order to, to excel. And so again, for breed ID, it, it was a thing of just, you know, studying as much as I possibly could. Again, I can remember taking my standard to school with me and I got some looks sometimes. And I can remember one teacher in particular, uh, she asked me, she goes, Oh, what is that? And I spent like the second half of my study hall period explaining to my teacher what rabbit showing was really about and why I was studying my standard. Um, and I remember the written test reaching out to um, Yvonne Michu and reaching out to Diana Gaunt here in Kansas and uh, my mom even as well and asking them, you know, what, um, what encouraging things, you know, they could, you know, get, you know, what tips they could give me to make my application even better. And at that point, um, they had recommended because, again, technology back then wasn't very good. But they're like, well, you know, you could put pictures into your application. That way judges could really see what you're doing, especially with leadership and uh, promoting your project and things like that. They could actually see it. It's not just words. They could see it. And so I tried doing that as well. Um, my oral interview, I remember being very, very nervous whenever I went up for um, my interview that day because I was the very first contestant that that went in that morning. And I remember being so nervous. I didn't have any of my family with me that year. And so it was just me. And so I had to mentally prepare myself as a 15 year old girl. You can do this. You're going to do just fine. And trying to think of mock interview questions that I'd had at the Kansas State Convention, you know, the last couple of years. But since I was a queen contestant, typically those questions in the king queen division are quite a bit harder, you know, more challenging for uh, you know, a person to answer. And I pushed through it and it came out on top. So <laughs> but it was it was very, very hard. I, I will say that it was not easy. It was not easy at all. Um, it just took a lot of preparation. And I tell people also, and I would have some friends also who would compete in royalty contests, you know, younger than me, older than me, you know, but they would start their written applications in May, you know, like, you know, summertime, whenever school got out, I started my, I remember that from the time I was a queen exhibitor in 2008, and then even until I turned 18, I started my written applications in like February after Christmas was over. And, you know, I would take months and months and months to get my application exactly how I wanted it. That way, whenever the time came around, I, I wasn't rushing at the very end. I always tell people, even now, some of the kids of uh, the parent or the parents of children here in Kansas that I've talked to that are going to be uh, exhibiting or competing in the royalty contest this year, I'm like, you know, don't wait until the last minute because then it will be rushed, you know, take your time. And again, those are just a few of the things that I did, but it was challenging. It really was challenging. <laughs> yes, it was. And that was uh, Louisville, Kentucky in 2008. Yes. So tell us about um, going to the youth banquet that night. How were you feeling after the contest? Well, I did not have a judging callback. 
surprise, surprise. <laughs> I don't think I ever did at nationals. And so that right there was kind of against me because in order to place in judging, you always have to have a judging callback at nationals. And I did not receive one of those. I really was not surprised about that. I was kind of bummed, but you know, it, it was, you know, it is what it is. Um, but I remember sitting at the table and everything with all the Kansas youth and we had a wonderful group of kids there that year. And I remember because again, breed ID was quote unquote, my thing, you know, I absolutely loved it. And I remember I did not place in the top five, uh, that year in, uh, in Louisville. And I was actually, I was really disheartened by that because at that point I was like, I didn't make it, you know, again, there were almost 50 girls that year. And I was like, I didn't make it. And, um, then, you know, they did the royalty and everything at the very end and they announced the Kings and then the Queens were the very last ones that they announced. And I remember looking over at my friend Janae and uh, I was just like, I didn't make it this year. And I was almost in tears because I tried so hard just that, you know, the, you know, prepping and not having any of my own family there to really support me and everything, you know. And I looked at her and I was just like, I didn't make it. And I remember, I think it was Yvonne uh, Michoud that was uh, announcing uh, the youth uh, the youth contest that year, and she said my name, and then she said from she said Chelsea Tucker from Kansas, and I sat there in my chair in absolute disbelief. And my friend Janae, I remember her touching me on my arm, and she's just like Chelsea, go, <laughs> and it it really was like oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, all that hard work it had all paid off. But I was I was almost in just tears because I felt like you know I had felt like I let myself down, even though I had tried so hard. And boy, whenever she called my name, it was the best feeling in the world. I ten year or not even ten, what is this? Thirteen years later, I, I can still remember how I felt. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can too. And oh gosh, that would be 23 years later for me, 24 years later. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I don't know if you listened to episode one, but very similar story for me. I was there without my family. I hadn't placed in anything in the lead up. And then, you know, I, again, I was sitting there like, oh, well, I didn't do it. There's next year, but, yep. um, but yeah, it's one of those things. I think, um, yeah, you don't forget it. And maybe, maybe people think, well, you know, it, it's kind of odd because that's a, a child thing to do, but it's more than that. It's a feeling of, you know, just giving something your all and being successful. Exactly. Exactly. And you try so hard and, you know, you study for so long. And I can remember, you know, when I would go to rabbit shows, you know, I would, again, I would take my standard, I would take my study material. Um, at that point, the rabbit uh, registrar study guide had come out. And I remember uh, Dwight and Marion Cam were selling it also. And so that's something else that, you know, I was, I was reading and trying to study up on. And again, I was putting my absolute all into every single contest and I was doing the best that I could and it finally paid off. So <laughs> it was a wonderful feeling. So what are some of the things you've touched on this a little bit, but what would you say that the impact of participating in youth contest has had in your life and some of the things that it's taught you that maybe you would not have learned otherwise? I think the biggest thing for me was really, was really leadership. Um, and whether you're in the rabbit project or, you know, in 4-H, you know, it doesn't matter. I think that leadership was really a big thing. Being around kids, um, my job now professionally, I'm a licensed daycare provider and I absolutely love my job. And I really feel like because I volunteered so much with the younger kids and royalty in Kansas and, you know, I did so many clinics with other kids and whatnot, you know, and really was a role model for, you know, for other youth members. I feel like that really gave me a step 
above whenever it came to what I wanted to do professionally. And prior to that, also, I was a manager, I was a supervisor. And, you know, just knowing how to talk with people. Again, whenever you go into the oral interview um, contest, you know, you don't know what questions, you know, they're going to be asked. And I remember um, at my, my, uh, my manager job, excuse me, <laughs> whenever I was interviewing for my manager position, I was extremely young. And uh, I remember being told, well, you know, I don't know, you know, you don't have that much experience. And I remember everything that I'd been taught and everything that I had prepared myself for in the royalty oral interviews. And I used all of that to prepare myself for my job interview. And I became one of the youngest uh, supervisors here in the state of Kansas for the Kroger company. And that was a really, really big thing for me as well. Um, I just think that, you know, royalty for you know the written test it, it taught me how to prepare for things in college and in high school you know and it it really was a learning experience um there's so many wonderful things that the youth contests whether you do the individual or whether you do royalty there's so many wonderful things that can come out of the you know can come out of that and regardless of what age you are it's another really good thing is you learn how to make friends with other people, people that you're competing against. You know, it's a positive atmosphere. It's never, you know, when I was competing, and I'm sure still to this day, it was never a negative thing. You know, you don't wish ill on anyone else. And so just being able to go in and make friends, you know, with someone from California, for example, the only time I ever got to see my California friends was at nationals. But, you know, when we saw each other, it was like, and that was pre-Facebook also, mind you. And it was, you know, we just picked right on up, you know, like we'd seen each other a month, you know, a month before. And I feel like, and one thing that I wish that parents would know whenever it came to the youth contest is that yes, it, it, it can be intimidating, but you have to make it fun. You have to make it, you know, you have to help your child, number one, whenever they're younger, that way they're not, you know, completely on their own. That way they don't feel defeated whenever things don't go their way. But there are so many positive things also that come from it long term. Um, if I hadn't have been involved in the youth contests, I'm not really for sure where I would be today. I mean, I hope I would be doing well, but so many things I took away that made me a better person when I was when I became an adult. I think that's the best endorsement I've ever heard for the ARB youth program. Oh, <laughs> it, so, it is something very near and dear to my heart. And here in Kansas, um, the numbers have been lower. It's it's actually very different for me to come back into it now with my own son, because when, when I competed, everyone did royalty. Everyone did the youth contests. And now, you know, 10 years later, you know, numbers are just a little bit lower. And so some of the counties around where we currently live here in Topeka, I'm trying to get as many kids as I can involved in it. And, you know, even if they don't do royalty, even if they just try showmanship at state convention, even if they just enter, you know, the achievement management for the ARBA convention, I feel like that is just one step in the right direction. You know, they will gain so much knowledge and they will have a wonderful time just doing that one contest. And hopefully that will, you know, grow into something more. Yeah, I agree. You know, we've talked a little bit about, and I know down here in Butler and Sedgwick County, you know, numbers a little bit lower than what we were um, when I was a kid or even when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. just, there are a lot more competing things going on, but there's still, you know, so much to be learned in this hobby, even just by participating, even if you're not really, you know, hardcore competitive like you and I were. Right. <laughs> so like you mentioned, you are now a youth parent and Talk a little bit about what it was like being on the other end and getting your kids into rabbits. Um, it was very different. Uh, I remember um, 
Jake actually, Jake is my oldest son and he's going to turn eight next month. And then Christian is my, my second son. Well, I only have two children, but he's my youngest son and he turned five in May. Um, he will start joining Big Brother this fall. He'll officially be um, able to compete with Jake and or show with Jake. But I remember going into the PetSmart here in the mall and there were mixed uh, Dutch rabbits in there. And I remember my kids being just over the moon, you know, in love with them. Because when, when I went to college, you know, I ended my, my contest participation. So I haven't had rabbits myself in, you know, in 10 years. And I remember them just being over the moon. And then Jake asked me about, you know, well, how much are the bunnies? And the crossbred, you know, Dutch rabbits were about, I think they were $55. And I'm like, oh, no, honey, we're not, you know, we're not getting one of those. And I talked to Jake a little bit more about, you know, showing them because I still have this is going to sound sad, but I still have all of my royalty crowns and my plaques and my, like my most, you know, cherished plaques and things like that, that I won. And so he knows, you know, that mama used to show rabbits and everything. And I remember him asking me, well, can I show rabbits? And I'm like, well, we can try. <laughs> if you really like it, we can try. And um, we contacted Sarah Hill and Sarah gave Jake a trio of mini wrecks and he has had the rabbit habit since. So, um, and this year, well, I, I guess last year, COVID, it doesn't really count, but last year he competed in the uh, achievement and management contest. And he did a couple of the youth contests last year and he received blue ribbons and he did a really good job. And this year he's starting to work even harder and he's now doing, um, more, he's competing more competitively now, um, in the contest now. So it's, it's very different being on the other side. Um, because again, you know, I was very, very competitive whenever I, when I did my own youth contest and I can't remember a whole lot about competing per se, whenever I was eight years old, like how he is right now, but I can remember more so whenever I was 18. And so I'm really having to, oh no, he doesn't have to know all of this yet. Like it's okay, you know, <laughs> so, um, but he's doing a really, really good job taking care of his rabbits and everything. But we, my husband and I, we told him whenever he first got his rabbits that, if he wanted them, just like my mom told me a long time ago, you know, they're yours, you have to take care of them, you know, you have to make sure that, you know, they're fed and they're watered and that, you know, you clean their cages. And I tell you what, he does an absolutely amazing job. He really does. He does it all by himself. The only thing that he needs help with is picking up the wheelbarrow and going back and dumping it. So because he can't lift that big old thing. But <laughs> other than that, he does a great job. He really does. And and no, I, I like that you kept your words. I do too. I'm actually sitting down here in my office. My ARBA queen plaque is behind me. Um, yeah. And <laughs> a few months ago, we were talking, I was telling our neighbor, we're very close friends with him, you know, about some of this, you know, leading up to the podcast. And he said, do you still have your crown? I said, oh yeah, I do. <laughs> of course I've I got do. It. I really do. I have all of my crowns because at, at the Kansas State Convention, you know, uh, they would give away queen crowns and everything too. Mm-hmm. And so I still have all four years of um, my queen participation at the state convention. And then I have my one from uh, Louisville as well. So they're very precious to me. I don't have my my one from Lady or my one uh, from 2003 at I um I won the ARBA princess in 2003. I don't know where those went and it's kind of sad, but all the others I sure did keep. So yeah, I yeah, and I agree. My queen chair is one of my most prized possessions too. It's not, you know, obviously monetary value, right. but it's just it's a reminder that I can do anything and put my mind to. That is exactly right. Exactly. So, Jake is here, is he not? Yes, he is. Hi Jake. Hi. Hi. So, Jake, can you tell us a little bit about your rabbits? They do good at showing. Oh. 
They do. And and what do you do to get them ready to do good at showing? Get, getting them ready for the show. Uh-huh. Like, get, getting them flipped over. That way they're used to it. That's right. That, that way they're getting ready for it. Yeah, well, we appreciate that. You know, sometimes we get wild rabbits on the table and we can tell that no one's really ever made that mind. So you are getting ready to go to the ARBA convention this year. Is that right? Yes. And what have you been doing to get ready for that? What have you been practicing? Showmanship mostly. Mm Mm-hmm. And have you been studying anything else? Flipping over my rabbits. Mm-hmm. What other things have you been studying for royalty? What's the What's the thing called where you go down and you pick A, B, C, or D? And true and false questions. You know what it's called? Mm-hmm. I've written what? A written test. A written test. There you go. <laughs> yeah, very good. So I know that um, you and your mom have been working on a project to um, help get ready for your trip too. Can you tell us about that? Mm-hmm. What have we been do- What have we been baking together? Mm-hmm. Cupcakes. Yeah. Cupcakes. <laughs> yeah. On his face. <laughs> <laughs> you like baking cupcakes? Yeah. Yeah, who doesn't? That's because he gets the extra icing. So. There you go. I mean, that's the best part. I mean, the cupcake's good and all, but it's just to hold up the frosting. So what do you think about um, rabbit contests? Do you have fun with them? Yes. What is your favorite part? Winning. Oh. <laughs> hey, we like honesty around here. Oh. <laughs> yeah. He's got a competitive streak in him, too. So. Well, good. So um, do you like showmanship or breed ID or judging? Which of those are your favorites? Showmanship. Showmanship? And why is that? Knowing about your rabbit and knowing things about it, knowing the varieties, what to check for, all those kind of things. Yeah, that's good. And what breed of rabbits do you raise? Mini Rex, Mini Satin. And then you have one of what? One Himalayan. There you go. Is that your showmanship rabbit? No. No? Really? What is your showmanship rabbit? Uh, a Mini Rex. A chocolate Mini Rex. A chocolate Mini Rex. What's his name? Chip. <laughs> Perfect. I like it. So are you excited to go back to Kentucky? Yes. Yeah. What do you think about all this contest stuff? You've heard your mom talk about it. (laughs) He looks so nervous. (laughs) Are, Are you a little bit nervous about that? Yes. Well, I tried explaining to him, you know, exactly how many rabbits will be there. And I don't think that he, that his brain can fully wrap around exactly how many rabbits will truly be there. So I told him it's going to be like a mini vacation, huh? Yeah. (laughs) 
So, uh, you know, a lot of us get nervous. I remember being nervous every year and I think your mom was too. So that's very normal. It just means that you care about it. That's right. That is right. So what is the thing that you are most looking forward to about going to convention? What are you excited for? Trophies. Oh, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. It's great. Oh, my goodness. He's the same way at school and in sports, too. And it's just like, oh, well, okay. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) There we go. What did did you tell me earlier that you, what breed are you really wanting to see at nationals? Tans. He loves tans. Ah. And you don't see very many of them around here. So I told him that there will definitely be some tans when we go to nationals. There were. And um, do you know what colors tans come in? Mm. What varieties? Black. Mm-hmm. Um, There's four of them. Black. Blue. Mm-hmm. What's the other two? Chocolate. Mm-hmm. Chinchilla? Not chinchilla. Lilac. Lilac. There you go. Very good. Which one are you most excited to see? What variety? Black. Black? Yeah, those are very, very striking. (laughs) We had, there was a a Kansas show this last weekend, and there was one single tan, and he was very excited to see that one tan, and, and it just so happened to be a black tan also, and Prior to that, I think I think the family was from Oklahoma. So prior to that, I don't think we've seen a tan recently, have we, Jake? We've, we've never seen a tan. Yeah, no. Nope. So it was a very good surprise. Yeah, that would be. So Jake, um, what would you tell other kids that are thinking about doing youth contests, but maybe aren't quite sure that they're ready for it? What advice would you have for them? What would you tell them? I hope you do a good job at it. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's very nice. Yeah. Do you have any uh, study tips that you would give them? Mm, how could they get better at the contests? By keep on trying. Yeah, I think that works. You know, practice makes perfect. So, Chelsea, is it going to be nostalgic for you going back to Kentucky? It definitely will be. Absolutely. <laughs> that that was one of my favorite conventions. That one in Minneapolis in 2010. That was, those two in particular were two of my favorites. So, we, I'm very excited to show not only my husband, who is not a, he was not raised in the rabbit world. So, while Jake can't begin to understand how exactly how many rabbits are there, my husband can't either. So... <laughs> So what does he think about this whole rabbit endeavor? Um, I think when we first started, he thought I was nuts. I'm not going, I'm not going to lie. Um, I don't think that he fully understood just how special of, you know, a project and how rewarding, you know, it can be. Um, but since Jake's been doing this now, cause Jake, uh, he received his first trip from Sarah Hill in October of 2019. Yeah. 2019. So within the last almost two years, you know, Jake has really, you know, started learning and, you know, he's growing really, you know, really quickly, actually, and, you know, in his project, he absolutely loves it. And I think my husband is definitely on board with that. So for all the, um, 
all the parents out there who were not raised in the rabbit world, it, it gets easier. I promise my husband would agree with me. So <laughs> it, it really does get easier. And when you see your children, you know, smile, even, you know, from a blue ribbon, they might not win grand champion. They not, you know, they might not, you know, win best in show, but when you see them just having fun and making new friends, that is probably one of the most rewarding feelings for a parent. And I remember uh, me personally, uh, I loved showing rabbits whenever I was a child. And even as a teenager, I had many, many friends, not just in the state of Kansas, but in neighboring states and, you know, out in California as well. And I, I think that that's just a really great thing for, for kids of all ages to, you know, to have. So sports was not my thing, but showing rabbits really was. So, and with Jake, he's in sports and with, and in rabbits, huh? Mm -hmm. So, so you're going to be very busy. That's yes. right. So are there any um, site trips or sightseeing that you've got planned while you're in Kentucky? Um, I would love to go back and see Churchill Downs. I, I still have pictures from when I was 15 and I went there. And I think that my kids would love to see that too. Um, recently, we all watched, I showed them the movie Seabiscuit. And um, I, I skipped through some of the parts where they shouldn't see, but they got to see Seabiscuit uh, running and everything in the movie and, and racing. And I want to go to Churchill Downs and I want to take my boys there and have them, you know, experience that. And hopefully with COVID and everything, we're able to, we're, you know, allowed and able to do that. But um, I'd like to take them there. And then the Louisville uh, Slugger Museum, if we want to go there. And we're hoping to find somewhere that has some water, whether it's a water, you know, water slide park or an amusement park, you know, something like that, something that they can go and enjoy also. That way it's not just you know, museums and things like that. Something that they will genuinely have fun doing. So at eight and five years old. Yeah, that sounds great. What do you think about all that, Jake? What are you most excited for? What did you tell me earlier that you're most excited for whenever we get to Louisville? Going what? Swimming? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I we booked the hotel a few months back and I remember telling Jake, okay, bud, you know, mommy, you know, I booked it, you know, we're all set to go, you know, are you excited? And he was, you know, over the moon excited. And then I remember him stopping me and he goes, wait, mommy, did you get a pool or did you get a hotel with the pool? And I'm like, yes, I did. Oh, okay. That's what I wanted. And I'm like, well, I'm glad I could make you happy today. <laughs> Priorities. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you both for agreeing to join us on the podcast. We're looking forward to seeing you at convention. And Jake, good luck on your first try at the ARBA Youth Contests. Thank you. You're very welcome. Bryony, that was such a great interview with Chelsea. I, uh, it's just amazing how applicable what she said relates to our experiences in the past. You know, we were active as kids in the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, she won in 2008, but these contests, yeah, they've, they've changed a little bit over the years, but um, at the end of the day, there's a lot of similarities and it, it actually, it's a better contest today. It's, it's far more fluent and organized. And, uh, but what is the same is that the kids that come out of these contests, they are still uh, left with those life skills that they can apply later on in life. And what's really cool, the ARBA, this is something that's, that's happened recently with the ARB youth committee. There are a list of tips on the ARBA website for those kids applying for the youth contests this year, whether it's royalty, whether it's the achievement contest, whether it's management, or whether it's contests that don't uh, require you to, to physically be there, such as like maybe the arts and crafts contest or the essay writing contest. So 
everyone, if you are uh, listening, whether you're a parent or whether you are a youth that are applying for these contests, you can find all of these forms on the ARBA website. That's ARBA.net. There's a drop down tab right at the top. Hit youth, scroll down. You will find those applications um, and information regarding the upcoming contest. And one of those really great PDFs that you can download is something called um, ARBA application tips. And both Brian and I were really floored by this. This was not around when we were applying, but man, I wish they were. And she, uh, Brian, you and I are both going to go through some of these tips and, and talk about uh, how important they are and, and what they mean, not only as kids applying for this contest, but these are something, these are, these are skills and tips that are applicable to applying for college applications, uh, scholarships, or whether you're in the workforce, maybe you're going back to grad school, whatever it is, these are things that we can all use. So um, one of the first things that this uh, tip form uh, highlights on the ARBA website for the youth contest is the basic formatting. And I know, Brian, you will attest to this. We are both pretty anal when it comes to writing and good writing. And uh, one of the, the the very first tips that this uh, tip list gives is font faces. And it says the two most popular and readable fonts are Times New Roman and Arial. And using one of these will help make the application more readable. And I can't tell you what, but I am like, for example, I just did some, some educational banners for the Orange County Fair coming up. I'm going to be doing an educational display for two weeks. And I went, I mean, it took me hours and it probably took me longer to, to make sure that all of the fonts and sizes were of the same font than it did to actually come up with the material on it. Because when you have an application that looks homogenous or uniform, it is so much easier to read. And Brandy, you and I both have read some of these applications as adults, right? You've, you've read these and judged these applications for kids in the contest, right? And so what's your perspective when it comes to fonts? Oh, yeah. Just the readability and the flow too. I mean, it, it looks like it's something that um, took some effort and it it flows. I mean, and it should read like, you know, anything else you open, it should flow. It should be easy. It shouldn't be a font where, you know, you're kind of taking some extra time because it's not something that clicks with your brain immediately. You know, um, some of the fancier ones, you have to work a little harder to see each letter and to um, to see the words in your mind. And using Times New Roman Arial, I know they're boring, but they're easy to read. And, it, you know, it makes it more comfortable to go through that, maybe refer back to that, um, to read through some of the questions with longer answers. Um, it just, it flows a lot better when you're not having to work to understand the words um, along with working to read the words and understand the paragraphs. Totally. And, you know, in the day and age where copy and paste is so ubiquitous, um, when I read an application where I see multiple fonts, my immediate reaction is that someone possibly copied and pasted this from Google or someone else's writing. And plagiarism is a no-no. We're never going to advocate for that. And whether you're doing it or not, keeping your fonts, your font sizes uniform and your your adherence to bold, italic, underline, keeping those uniform throughout the application will not raise red flags when it comes to those that might think that something in your application was not authentic. And it's unfortunately very popular because it's very easy to copy and paste from Google these days. So, um, you know, be cognizant of that as you make your very uniform application. And as you said, Times New Roman Arable, yeah, they're boring fonts, but keep them all the same so that it doesn't raise any red flags. Yep. All you got to do is a little control A, 
make everything the same font. Um, but I will say as the plagiarism side, I remember one year I graded applications for multiple age groups for a different contest and there were siblings of varying ages and there the answers were clearly copied and pasted, which I understand, you know, they showed all their rabbits together. It was a group project. I get that. But is a, you know, 16 year old going to describe that in the same language as a nine year old? Absolutely not. You got it. And it's okay to, I mean, I do it all the time when I'm applying for things or when I'm writing, I do pull from former things that I've written and copied and pasted and then morph them to make them applicable to what I'm currently working on. But um, make sure that those fonts are the same if you're going to do that. And, and definitely don't ever use anyone else's material. You guys are original and unique and cool enough to come up with your own stuff. Um, you know, and personality is great in these applications. You know, you want to take it seriously, um, but the personality shining through the application, it's really going to grab whoever's judging that application more so than something that's very dry. Um, I still remember before I even met him, I judged royalty applications one year when Johnny Hausner was competing and he has such personality in his writing. I mean, he answered the questions. He did a great job, but I thought this kid is cool. I want to meet this kid. Exactly. I mean, that reverts back to what we said about Chris Emney's daughter in that application. Like that makes you cool, that uniqueness. And you can do it in your writing too. Highlights you and separates you from the rest. So make yourself unique. Don't don't be boring and you don't have to be exciting with crazy fonts and giant sized letters and bold. You can do it with the usage of your words and, and really intelligent uses of your right. words. You don't, the, the bold, the italic, all that, that comes along across as being kind of like dramatic and maybe forceful. But what I really got from that application was just how much he enjoyed his rabbits. And we and all do. Captivating. Absolutely. Um, point five on this, it says uh, in terms of questions, when you're asked a question on the application, make sure you copy the question from your application. So the question that, that is asked within the application, copy that, put it before you actually go ahead and answer your question. And that reminds the scorers, the people that are reading these applications, that you've read the question. And then it also reminds them of what you've been asked. Because let's face it, when a scorer like Brian, and you, you and I have both scored these applications, like we said, as adults, um, we're going through a lot of them. And sometimes if the question's not there and and we just jump into the answer, it's like, well, wait, what was the original question? You know, how is this relevant to what was actually asked? So copy and paste those, those answers. And then what I love to do, and, you know, Brian, you and I do this when we're interviewing people is we ask our interviewers like, hey, you know, when you answer the question, incorporate some of that question into your answer so that it reminds whoever's listening, or in this case, in the applications, whoever's reading that you know, what's applicable that you've, you've read it and you've incorporated it. And that's super important. It makes the flow so much better and it makes it much easier for the scorer to actually uh, come out with a, a better, a better read on what you're saying. Yeah, it does. Um, and that really relates to point seven on here, which says, make sure you answer the question asked. You can talk about other things as well, but the most common error is not answering the questions asked. And that's true. Um, that's also true in the interviews. Um, I know that I've been in my job for a few years now. I've been on part of a few hiring committees and you get people that come in for job interviews that you ask them a question and they don't really answer it. And that doesn't bode well. We don't hire those people. Yeah. I mean, clearly, if you're applying for something in academia and you're trying to hide something, I get the point. But it's like watching a presidential debate and you're like, wait, did are they answering even the question or they're just like they're making their own stuff up? It, it and it's we've all watched presidential interviews or, um, you know, debates 
And it's very obvious when they're evading the question. So don't do it. Right. Or they're asked a question about healthcare and they're like, wait a minute, I want to go back and talk about the border for a minute. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Let's talk about infrastructure. Uh, excuse me. No, that's not the, that's not relevant. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. Um, a big one here, which we, we talked about earlier in this episode, is pay attention to deadlines. And those deadlines for the youth ARBA applications are listed on the ARBA website. Make sure you pay attention to those because I love this line actually from this tip list is late applications will sabotage your efforts. In other words, late applications will keep you from being a part of this contest. So definitely adhere to those. You can do it at the 11th hour. Both Brian and I are kings and queens of doing things at the last moment. But as long as it's in there before the deadline, like usually for us, it's one two colon zero zero twelve a.m. You're good to go. Yes, you're good to go as long as you hit that deadline. But a lot of people and and Chelsea talked a little bit about that too. They start early, and um, I know I'm I tend to kind of be an editor. If I start things, something's too early, I just won't leave it alone. But I know with my applications every year, um, kind of like you talked about at the beginning, I would keep my old applications. And then use them to base the next application off of the next year. I'd kind of add to or edit or revise, you know, questions. So I had something to work with. Um, but I remember, and I don't know about you, and I kind of laughed when it talked about, you know, typing the question. That wasn't the way it was when I competed. You requested forms for all of these applications. They were mailed to you. They had a list of questions with, you know, a space in between. And you would type them up. Um, I remember this was the mid-90s. We didn't have a computer at our house. It was a summer. I actually used my, a word processor. Oh, my God. So I remember I, that we would in a type long time. Up. <laughs> yep. And then you had to cut the answers out, like, with scissors. And I'd, like, glue stick them on the form. You could glue use a glue stick. stick or, like, scotch <laughs> tape or whatever. And then, you know, you could continue them on a separate page. I think you got two pages to continue them. And so you would cut out and glue stick that. And you had to send your original with all the little pieces flapping off of it, <laughs> plus two photocopies in. Um, so it was, you know, I would, you know, make a copy for myself and keep it every year because I could not save it as a file. <laughs> but exactly. you, you went down to the gas station and, and made a copy on the, on the Xerox because, <laughs> well, your mom was a librarian. Maybe you didn't have to do that. She had access to the kind of stuff. But I remember going down to the, the local Sunoco station and photocopying my application. So I had a, a record of it later on. And meanwhile, there was still like loose glue and they, the pages were probably stuck together still. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a homage to the glue stick. Yep. Yep. The, 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 the pre-computer uh, in every home times. But oh anyway, um, this next one, um, number nine, says be clear and concise. Answer the question fully, but do not rely on an unnecessary volume of words to make the point that you want to make just to fill up space for an answer to one of the questions you've been asked, like this tip is doing. Don't use two lines if only one is needed. And I think sometimes, I know in the applications that I've scored, people struggle to kind of hit that balance. There's some questions where you need to elaborate more. Um, I know that one of the things I would see on a several applications was it, you know, would ask about achievements in the hobby and there would be a very short paragraph like, I've won three best of breeds this year and some blue ribbons. So I'm, you know, left to kind of imagine what kind of shows is this person attending? Um, you know, I I would always list out things like my my big achievements. You know, I won this at my county fair and this at, you know, my local show and state show and whatnot. So the scorer can kind of place where you're participating and how you're doing at those contests because achievement is part of this. 
Um, on the other hand, I've seen some like interminably long answers to the equipment that you use. Um, and again, you want to be thorough. We want to know, you know, what size cages you're using, what size carriers you're using, the know that you have the equipment to adequately take care of the animals that you describe having. But on the other hand, we do not need to know the volume of every watering can you use. We do not need to know the various colors of the coop cups that you use. Um, you know, we do not need to know the length of the handle of the scoop that you use to clean out trays or, you know, the volume of your wheelbarrow, what color it is and the material that the tires are made of. So there, there are definitely places to elaborate more when it helps the scorer understand your project and places to be a bit more concise to avoid perhaps boring them to death. Exactly. It's superfluous information. It's just, it's the stuff that is not really relevant. And when I was in high school, we did these, they were called mastery tests in Connecticut. And actually it was before high school, but anyway, you had to do a writing contest where it was sent off to scorers. And it was really important because the, your district, your education district, or your high school got a rating afterwards. And it was super important when we grew up. And I remember uh, one of the teachers said like, all right, everyone, how long do you think the score takes to read your application? And I remember reading, raising my hand. I'm like, 10 minutes, you know, and the teacher laughed and a bunch of other kids like, okay, five minutes. Now, you know what? They take like 30 seconds to read it. So be concise, get to the point, talk about what's relevant. And this relates back to kind of like judging showmanship, you know, where you say uh, one of the questions, look in the eye. All right. And you've got a Florida white. Okay, have red eyes and you can go through what conjunctivitis, maybe eye spots, uh, maybe weepiness, how to do it. But don't go start talking about wrong eye color and Neville and Dwarf. Like it's not relevant to the question. So be concise. Talk about what actually needs to be talked about and don't bore the reader. Um, point 10 on this tip list is using good grammar and spelling. And that tells the judge you're serious and you're careful. And this is a, a, this tip ends with a really, really good idea. And that's send your application over before you send it and officially submit it. Ask someone else to read it. This is ask a teacher or other adult to help you proofread your application. You know, when I was in high school and I was applying to, it was actually rabbit stuff where I was writing articles for DR or some other newsletters. I would actually bring my stuff to my high school English teacher and be like, Hey, could you just like give this like a few minutes and, and tell me what you think? And is there anything on, on here that's glaringly wrong? Um, because Good grammar and spelling adds to flow, and it really shows that you are paying attention. And I know, Brian, you are a stickler when it comes to grammar and spelling. Yes, I can be. I was also a spelling bee geek as a kid. <laughs> oh my, but, we have not talked about this, but I believe you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, again, it tells someone that you're serious and careful. And I know that spelling is not everyone's thing. Um and that's fine. It doesn't have to be. But this isn't just, you know, a social media post with your opinion. This is something that that you're competing at. And so if it's not your strong suit, take that extra step and ask for some assistance. And again, that's what these contests are all about, improving, you know, honing your skills and knowing when to ask for a little bit of help when you need that. Yes, like which, which is which. Remember that? <laughs> yes. Conjunction, Wichita. junction, what is your function, right? So, <laughs> yes. Wichita and, only has one T. <laughs> it does, everybody. Wichita only has one T. Um, yeah, you, you know, in this day and age where we have excellent technology to help us with spelling, um, which will even 
often catch your bad grammar unless you're writing in French or something. Um, use it if it's if it's underscored in red. Figure out why. Maybe you are using a rabbit term that the computer doesn't understand, but if it's a word that the average everyday person uses or a phrase, figure out why it's red before you submit it. Um, point number eleven: Pictures tell a lot of a lot about you and your project, and pictures are something that can be used in these applications. Select them carefully and size them appropriately to tell your story. Include captions so the judge knows exactly what they're looking at. Um, however, this is a big one. Not all answers will lend themselves to being helped by a picture. And that goes back to superfluous information or superfluous text. Like this is not a pictorial portrayal of you. It is a reflection in mainly words. So don't use photos. I mean, yeah, they are worth a thousand words, but not in this case. So concise use of pictures can be just as important as concise use of language. Do you have any tips on that? Oh, yes. Um, of course, photos were not part of it um, when we competed. Um, but yeah, I, I know that there's a page limit to these. And I have seen several applications that did not fully answer questions, but had a whole lot of pictures. And you could tell that, you know, those answers were shortened to make room for all of these pictures. And, you know, again, there's there's very little that we can grade those pictures on. There are times when they can help provide an answer to a question. Um you know, if you're talking about um, maybe helping at a show, it's it can be a good idea to have a picture of you with a group of younger kids preparing them for showmanship. That shows some leadership skills. Um, but a picture of you, you know, holding a rabbit, pictures of the rabbits, um, just a picture of you putting a rabbit on a table. You know, again, that's something to use to help answer the questions, not fill space. And definitely don't cut down and fail to fully answer a question just so you can put pictures in. Right. It's This is not an Instagram post. This is it's much bigger than that. And words are, are super important. Um, put your name and the contest on every page of your application. That is point number 13 on this tip list. And that is really important. When I read these. I, you know, and, or, or beyond us, by the way, like a committee, the youth committee, Tom and his committee have to go through these. And sometimes pages get shuffled around and they, I'm sure they do print these and they actually look at them physically. And if your name's not on it, can you imagine what a nightmare it would be to put together that puzzle on a piece of paper that doesn't have your name on it? I mean, especially in, in, without using over, over usage of selfies, really, by the way, they're probably not gonna know your face anyway. So Make sure at the bottom of every application, your name is on there somewhere. Yes. And the last tip it says is honesty is, as always, the best policy. Be mindful of the fact that scorers, while remaining anonymous, may be able to verify the claims made in your application. You do not want to get caught embellishing your activities or accomplishments. So funny story, several years ago, I was grading some applications. I wasn't too, too far out of youth. Um, but there were some applications and one of them belonged to a kid that was very young when I was, you know, kind of at the end of my youth career. And I noticed that some of the wins listed on the application looked a little funny because I thought, you know, I remember being at that show and I remember which rabbit I won this show with. And I looked some of that up, sure enough. And so, you know, I contacted the contact organizer and I said, what should I do about this? Because I know this isn't true, but I can't verify this for everybody. And the suggestion I was given was just, you know, make a note on the application to, to double check the accuracy of some of your, your wins that you list. So I happened to get that same contest the next year. 
And that same contestant had not changed any of that information. And I hit them really hard for points because not only was this information not accurate, but it was not corrected after it was pointed out. It was just copy pasted from next year with no effort put in to make that correction. Amazing. And, you know, that's a that's a nod to the the smallness and the, the connection that we have within the ARBA. A lot of times these scorers come back year after year and they're reading those applications and that poor soul that didn't clearly read your tip from the year prior got you again <laughs> the next year and made the same mistake. So that, I mean, yeah, I would knock them heavily. I would, I would have knocked them the first time because you actually were a relevant uh, source in what they were saying. This is a small industry and whether you get the same score twice, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> that's like I said, unfortunate soul. But a lot of us are that are judging these or reading these as scores might know you or may have been at that show. Or if you're a geek like Brian and I, which we're pretty up to date on what's going on or some history stuff, you know, it's not unlikely that your false statement is going to be read that way. So uh, and that's also another nod to not copying and pasting off of Google because um, the authenticity of it will be boldly evident and you will be marked down for it. So I love the way that that tip 14 begins. That's honesty is as always the best policy. So go with honesty. And as you said, I, I feel sorry for that kid. Well, I don't feel sorry for them because they didn't pay attention, but they, they sh <laughs> if you, if you didn't do well this year or, or if you did go back and read those comments. I mean, people like Brian and I take time and a lot of other people read, take time to go through those applications and, and mark down comments for you not necessarily for this application, but for the next time you go about this. So take those comments and really um, own them and use them because we put a lot of time and effort into making sure that, that they were there for your benefit. And I will say one more thing to this honesty is the best policy. Most of the applications I've scored over the years have been for the king and queen contest. Um, I myself never competed. Um, I did one duchess at the state level, but I was not able to compete in youth contests until I was that age. So I, I kind of have a better handle on what that should look like. One thing I've noticed over the past few years is that even if everything else in the application, you know, everything about the plans for the future and what the applicant is involved in high school and what they want to do once they're out of high school tells me that this is probably someone that's going to have to get out of rabbits for a period of time, as many people do. Um, they all say also that, you know, oh, they want to get their registrars and their judge's license. And it almost seems to me like applicants think that they have to say that to be taken seriously. And that is not the case. Um, you know, there are some of us who never got out of rabbits, but there are a lot of people, and we've talked to a lot of them on this podcast, who did take a hiatus to go to college. And that's okay. Don't feel like you have to commit to rabbits for the rest of your life without interruption to be successful in this contest. Because what we're looking at is what you've learned, what you've accomplished, how you've improved, how you've grown, how you've given back while you're here. I love that. It's so true. And Kind of similar, similarly to this, I've heard a lot of kids say that they feel like they have to be judges or registrars to really compete in the king or queen contest. And I don't think that's true. I think that if you adhere to what you just said about talking about your real life goals, like I'm 18, I'm going to college next year. It's four states away. I'm going to have to give rabbits a little break. I never got my judge license and registrar's license. I, I, but that's okay. So 
an inspiring tip to those that are not judges and registrars, you don't have to be one to have a great program and one that backs you up in good writing and in, a, and in an excellently written application to do well and succeed at this contest. Don't you agree? Oh, I agree completely. Um, actually, I was kind of in a wave, a very early wave of young registrars and judges. And I know at some point there was some controversy about should we even let her compete because she's got a registrar's license. Um, but no, you don't have to be taken seriously. And, you know, listen to some of the people we've talked to in this episode who've made amazing impacts on the hobby and do not have judges license or registrar's licenses. Um, please don't think that you have to commit to that or that you have to do that to be taken seriously. There are so many other ways to be part of this hobby. There are so many other ways to be involved and give back to this hobby without having to get a license. That is not an obligation. Well, and let's face it, it not everyone has to become a judge or registrar. And not everyone wants to be a judge or registrar, and that's totally fine. Let's face it, the, the being a part of the ARBA as an exhibitor, exhibitor, first and foremost, is breeding healthy, standard-bred rabbits. Nowhere in there does it say being a judge or registrar. So first and foremost, especially in these applications for kids, we don't expect you to be a veteran at this at 18. You know, you and I, Brian, we learn every single day talk to our, our episode guests, they are still learning and are not ashamed by that. So don't feel like you have to be an expert to compete in this competition and, and own that and don't lie about it. Be honest. Yeah. Own that. And, and just realize that what we want to hear is how you have improved and grown and, and know that all of us in this hobby are, who are serious about it. And, you know, everyone we've talked to, we are all still learning and growing. We just don't get to tell everyone about it every year. <laughs> but that's that's the point of the hobby. It's like 4-H, learning, growing, improving, and continuing to better yourself and the hobby. Making the best better. I said it wrong. I said it was an F of A quote, but it's not. It's a 4-H quote. But <laughs> Yes, making, it's a 4-H motto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got called out for that one. Making the best better, okay? But it, as overused maybe as sometimes we think it is, it is a very true statement and uh, it, one that is very relevant to these applications and wherever you are in this in this pathway. All right, Brian, I think we're uh, finishing up episode 21. Thank you everyone for tuning in to Best in Show. Again, it's the only podcast dedicated to the show rabbit and KV industry. Uh, this was a great episode for our kids. And we've spent a lot of time talking to some of the veterans in our industry, but those veterans started as kids too, by the way. So this is your way to uh, link yourself and you don't have to be a veteran right away. Those youth contests are important. They were very, very important to both Brian and I in our rabbit lives and in our personal lives as well. Um, I'm going to conclude with a quote that uh, is very applicable to what we've just talked about. And I want to thank you, Brian, for finding this one because it's, it's a great one. And it is by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Enthusiasm is the one most powerful engines of success. When you do a thing, do it with your might. Put your whole soul into it. Stamp it with your own personality. Be active, be energetic, and faithful, and you will accomplish your object. Nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. Bryony, what do we say every episode? Talk rabbits and talk cavies. While this podcast would not be possible without the American Rabbit Breeders Association, it does not constitute an official communication of the association. 
The information, viewpoints, and opinions expressed herein are those of the hosts and our guests and are not endorsed by the ARBA. To learn more about the ARBA, please visit www.arba.net.